0: so julie i don't know about you but an odd thing happened to me last month i was kind of going through the financial stuff balancing bank accounts and that kind of stuff and i'm kind of like where did that deposit come from and it was actually interest that they're paying on like my savings account, just my my safe money. And it was something, I don't know when the last time was I experienced that. Have you experienced anything like that yourself?
1: Absolutely. It's a line item and a deposit that I haven't seen for a very long time, or if I was seeing it, it was so minuscule that it was something just to look right past. So I do think that uh, my mindset has had to adjust a little bit as of late to think of these deposits as real money. It, it's fascinating how quickly the tides have turned.
0: Something tells me we'll remember real quickly come tax filing time next uh, next tax season, right? But I think Julie, <laughs> you know, one of the one of the interesting things when we think about cash and its maybe newly relevant role is this idea in financial planning around bucketing, which is setting aside some degree of some degree of cash assets, safe money, if you will. Uh, to provide for a client's kind of baseline expenses for a year or two, while they let the rest of their portfolio do the investment work that oftentimes takes more time in terms of time horizons. And, uh, you know, I think there's some valid points to be made for uh, maybe clients sticking to the plan a little bit more, less apt to make changes in the midst of volatility. So take rising interest rates on cash combined with a crazy market environment And it kind of brings this topic of bucket strategies back to the fore again.
1: Absolutely. And it's interesting. It's a a technique that I've maybe subconsciously used for a long time, even though I'm not a retired person, but just allocating mentally buckets of money towards different activities in life, whether it's vacation or home repair or that future new car. So I'm really excited to hear what Christine has to say, because it's something that certainly aligns with my mindset.
0: I thought the same thing, who better to talk to uh, then Christine Benz from Morningstar, who's done an extensive amount of work speaking and studying this topic of bucket strategies. And so why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Christine and then uh, we'll have them listen in on the conversation that you and I recently had with her about bucket strategies.
1: Perfect. Christine Benz is Director of Personal Finance and Retirement Planning for Morningstar and a Senior Columnist for Morningstar.com. In that role, she focuses on retirement and portfolio planning for individual investors. She also co-hosts a podcast for Morningstar called The Long View, which features in-depth interviews with thought leaders in investing and personal finance. She's a frequent public speaker and is widely quoted in the media, including The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal... Barron's, CNBC, and PBS, and in 2021, Barron's named her as one of the 10 most influential women in wealth management.
0: So Julie, why don't we invite our audience in on a conversation that we just had with Christine? Hi, I'm John.
1: And I'm Julie.
0: We're the hosts of the Hartford Fund's Human Centric Investing Podcast.
1: Every other week, we're talking with inspiring thought leaders to hear their best ideas for how you can transform your relationships with your clients. Let's go. Christine, we're so excited to have you with us on the Human Centric Investing Podcast today. Thank you again for joining us.
2: Thank you so much, Julie. It's my pleasure to be here.
0: So Christine, obviously for the financial professionals who are listening today, uh, I hate the word unprecedented. If we're not using it to describe (laughs) Health conditions in the United States, we're using it to, to describe markets. And we're coming off 2022 where, you know, the, the bond markets were totally out of character, at least what many of us have been used to dealing with over the past uh, decade or two. And certainly the equity markets didn't behave at all either. In the face of increasing volatility, it always seems, headlines all around us. It's no wonder that our clients are feeling a little bit anxious, uh, maybe more than a little bit. But, you know, I know, Christine, that you have talked about and are interested in the topic of bucketing as an investment strategy. And just wondered, uh, for those of you who aren't as familiar with it, if you could maybe give us a brief overview of bucketing and then maybe we can have a discussion just about advantages, disadvantages and the like.
2: Sure, so I always have to credit Harold Davinsky, the financial planner, he's now largely retired, but he was a financial planner and then a financial planning professor at Texas Tech uh, for putting the bug in my ear about bucketing probably 15 years ago. I remember he and I were talking and was in this period of, what we're starting to be very low yields, untenably low yields for income minded retirees who maybe had been used to subsisting on whatever income distributions their their portfolios were kicking off. As yields declined, that sort of distribution strategy became untenable. So I remember asking Harold, well, what do you do? How do you manage your client portfolios Who for clients who are retired, how do you, figure out how to get them their distributions and how do you structure the portfolio? And he said, well, it's really simple. I just maintain this total return, more or less balanced portfolio that I periodically rebalance back to whatever target we have. But then I also bolt on this cash bucket where it can supply distributions in a year where neither the stocks nor the bonds have cooperated. So a year like 2022, for example, where you had um, rising interest rates, crimping both stock and bond prices. The virtue of the cash bucket is that it's something that you can draw upon in a year on a year like that. So I I realized in talking to Harold, he said that it really seemed to work with his clients. He would call them in a bad year after a particularly bad quarter or whatever the case might be and say, "You know, how are you feeling about the market? And he said his clients would practically repeat it back to him that, oh, we have this cash bucket. So that means that we can still take the family on the cruise next year. Or it means that we can still go to dinner on Saturday on Saturday night with our friends like we always do. The things that really constituted quality of life for his clients, this security in being able to fulfill those goals, fulfill those things that gave them quality of life, gave them peace of mind to stick with the plan. that if in a worst case scenario they were pulling from that cash bucket, they didn't need to touch the long-term investment portfolio so i've just been evangelizing about the approach i i often talk to groups of individual investors and i can see similarly kind of that light bulb go back and i will say i have had kind of the same experience that harold had with his clients where in a year like last year i was hearing from investors who said oh i've been using the bucket system, and I'm not worried about my long-term portfolio. I'm pulling my cash distributions from that bucket of safe securities, and I'm not monkeying around with my long-term portfolio. So I think there's a lot of power as a client illustration tool even even for advisors who have their own systems for you know determining the contours of the portfolio if you can kind of explain it to clients in that way i think it it goes a long way toward helping them feel peaceful about the plan
1: it's interesting christine john and i in the conversations that we have with financial professionals and clients have found that, especially in turbulent market times, people have the tendency to want to do something, right? I want to fix it, uh, you know, I need to take action. And then, unfortunately, sometimes that action means tinkering with the asset allocation of the portfolio in a with a near-term approach and maybe harming oneself in the long run. W- with this bucketing approach and having this sort of mental accounting, if you will, of this cash bucket, have you found in the conversations that you're having and the research that you've done that 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 allows maybe a client that tinkering ability with the cash bucket without touching longer term asset allocation or portfolios or investments that could potentially have you know negative impacts you know one three five ten years down the road?
2: Yeah, it's a really good question, and you know, I think sometimes there's this misconception that this bucket system is that you just sort of spend through the buckets, where you would sort of start with cash, move on to the fixed income piece, and then you know, perhaps at some later date spend the equities. And the fact is, it's not really that simple. That um, maybe in a really good year for equities, if you've spent from that cash. Bucket, you would be actually pulling from equities to refill the cash bucket. So there's a little bit of art to keeping the buckets up and running on an ongoing basis, which is why an advisor can add a lot of value in terms of helping source The the refills for that cash bucket if if the cash bucket is spent from on an ongoing basis, it does make sense to each year take that step back and think about well, what is the best source of funds for um, refilling that cash bucket, but my hope is that. um, That. Individual investors who are using a strategy like this might be disinclined to be, you know, a little too tactical in terms of managing things that they might, um, in a year like 2022, just sort of take a step back and say, well, you know what, I'm okay. My cash flow needs are being met through that bucket one, and maybe I have two years worth of portfolio withdrawals in in bucket number one. I'm not going to monkey around too much.
0: So Christine, to to be clear, would you say that the, the cash bucket of the bucket strategy is separate and distinct from the emergency fund, the six to nine months or whatever it is that we set up for a client, or does it include that emergency fund?
2: Well, for retirees, I would say it should include that emergency fund. And for people who aren't yet retired, they'd certainly want to have the emergency fund, but they probably don't need those liquid reserves dragging on their portfolios. In fact, I often make the point that the size of that cash bucket in a lot of ways is kind of a luxury good, that for someone who has more leeway in their plan and can allocate a little bit more to that sort of peace of mind investment that's fine but for people with tighter plans they'd want to want to skinny down that cash bucket and certainly for folks that who are working i would say holding emergency reserves is sufficient they probably wouldn't want to to be maintaining that ongoing cash allocation in large part because of inflation that we know over longer periods of time inflation will tend to gobble up every bit of yield on safe investments.
1: How specific do you think a conversation should get around that cash bucket in terms of, you know, this piece is for the new car, this is for the house repair, this is for the vacation, this is for gifting to the children or grandchildren. In your mind, you know, does that help if, if clients are really thinking about these sleeves in very specific ways? Or does that take them down a whole different negative rabbit hole if it is too specific? I'm curious what what, uh, guidance you have given the conversations that you've had with clients and financial professionals as you've been researching this.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I I really like the idea of being quite granular about how much of a liquid reserve to set aside and looking at year by year cash flows, looking at um, spending anticipated spending and use that to drive how much to drop into that cash bucket and an important dimension of this is uh, the role of non-portfolio cash flow sources specifically social security as part of the plan Um, to the extent that those aren't in play on in year one of retirement, it seems like you would want to model out changes in those non-portfolio income sources and what they're bringing in to the client's cash flows on a year-by-year basis. So I like the idea of advisors spending time on a year-by-year basis determining what is the optimal level of cash to hold. So if for whatever reason the cash is gone, you've spent through it, maybe you had some unanticipated spending, then you would have, say, short-term high-quality bonds that you could step into.
0: So Christine, how, in in your mind, what would you initially target for a buck for that cash bucket? Is it approximately two years? And the, the reason I ask is, I guess the danger of the bucket strategy would, would be that the client would say to themselves, Well, hey, we've got this cash set aside. You know, my financial professional said I can live like a king for the next two years. So <laughs> let's spend it while we got it. But eventually at some point, that bucket's gonna need to be refilled. So um I guess a couple of questions in one, what's what's a good initial target in terms of yeah, you know, is it two years expenses, something different? And secondly, Do you still recommend during those two years to say to a client, Hey, this is the reason we set the cash aside. However, we can't be ignorant to what's going on overall in the world around us. So, you know, if we can save here or, it works in the other way too, right? Maybe this is your, go ahead and advance that, you know, large purchase because the markets have been good to us. How do you approach both of those scenarios?
2: Yeah, re- really good set of questions. So the starting point for any of this is to look at anticipated spending in years, one. say we're, we're sort of embarking on retirement. You would look at exp- anticipated spending in years one and two of retirement. Then you're subtracting from that any non-portfolio income sources that are in play, so Social Security or, and or a pension, the amount that I'm left over w- with is sort of a year one uh, portfolio expenditure. And then I would spend some time stress testing that. Is that a sustainable withdrawal amount? Is it, you know, within the sniff test of what we think is a sustainable withdrawal rate? So I would start there, but certainly there is room to explore some variability in terms of the distribution rate, the the withdrawal rate that's being used, and then using that to right size that bucket number one. So I like the idea of, of using like two years worth of portfolio withdrawals, anticipated portfolio withdrawals to have set aside in cash holdings.
0: Makes sense.
1: It does. Christine, when you speak with groups of investors or clients about this strategy and and educate them, I'm curious on the whole, are they typically more optimistic about the amount of money that they'll have to dip into or do they does it feel like the trend is that they they underestimate what they have and are maybe a little bit more conservative about the things that they'll be able to do, say, at different periods of retirement? I'm just curious given those conversations that you're having, what the kind of the the general sentiment is.
2: I've seen both extremes, Julie, actually, where um, I've talked to retirees who, when we go through the research on sustainable withdrawal rates, say that they really want to model in the retirement spending smile where they're anticipating higher spending earlier on. They know that they will have to to spend less as retirement progresses. So I encounter higher spending new retirees, but I also encounter plenty of older adults, especially folks who are well into their 80s, who kind of proudly say, well, I, you know, I'm spending 3% per year, year in and year out. And that is more than enough for me. And um, it it does seem that it it runs the gamut where you have um, people who want to spend everything that their uh, portfolio has and those who are comfortable taking much less. I will say there's one area that is a common area of concern among older adults, and I know it's a whole topic unto itself, but it's long-term care. So where there's unfunded long-term care expenses or where someone has not purchased any sort of insurance product, oftentimes there's a lot of angst about spending from the portfolio, and there's a, a strong appetite to make sure that there are funds left over cover any uninsured long-term care expenses?
0: Well and Christine not not that it's a new phenomenon. it's always been with us, but I know in the work that Julie and I do we see one of the things that uh, people are talking about now is working longer into retirement, right We talk about the working retired, right We can't even figure out a right word for it. but obviously maybe the starting place there is when we think about our monthly cash flow outflows uh beginning to think about okay maybe i don't leave work altogether but if i scale back right how much will my continuing income be able to feed that cash bucket if you will um which then relieves pressure from the portfolio uh so i i think this is my advertisement for no matter what age we are you, you know we should consider uh what work is available to us if we like what we're doing we're physically able to do it we have an opportunity to do so uh, I think maybe breaking the old myths about just because I'm somewhere between 55 and 62 means I have to retire. It may just mean that we need to do something different because we're bored with what we've been doing the last 30 years, right?
2: Absolutely, John. And I know you know this uh, better than anyone in, in your work. You have explored so much about the value of purpose and the value of ongoing relationships, throughout our lives. Um, So, I love that that dimension is increasingly coming to the fore as we talk about retirement planning. How do we make sure that people have that sense of purpose and and those ongoing points of contact with others? And, you know, a, a real side benefit is that it benefits the plan enormously if someone can forestall withdrawals or full-on withdrawals from the portfolio and um, use their ongoing income from work to source or to to supply some of their spending needs so so much to be said for the benefit of working longer i often caution people though i I do encounter a lot of older adults who say what's my plan to continue working until i'm 70 or even 75 or even beyond that and um as my colleague at Morningstar Mark Miller often says, it's a worthy aspiration. It's not a plan, right? It can't be, if that's that's your sole save from a financial standpoint to continue working, there are so many reasons why that may not work out. And so you just need to factor that in mind. It can't be the
0: sum total of the plan. We always need to have our bucket ready, in other words. Exactly. Well, Christine, we've been talking a lot about bucket strategies. Now maybe we'll get to hit you up for some bucket list items on our favorite part of our podcast, which we call our lightning round. So Julie and I are going to fire a couple of questions at you. We want those top of the mind uh, responses. This is the human centric investing podcast. So we'd like to learn a little bit more about Christine as a person. That's the purpose of the lightning round. So if you're ready, I think we are too. Great. On a scale of one to 10, one being introvert, where I'd rather prefer to sit in the corner of a library with my book, and 10 being the more the merrier, let's party hard extrovert. Where do you put yourself on the introvert extrovert scale?
2: I would say, um, so if, if the lower numbers are introvert, I would say I'm kind of a four, where okay. I think I'm in, is it called an ambivert? Where I think I've gotten (laughs) pretty pretty good about, um, you know, being social and being adept in social situations, but I do find after heavy socializing or like I go to a conference or something like that, I need to just retreat for a little while to recharge. Um, which is often why on a Sunday afternoon, my very favorite activity is just sitting on the couch with a book. Sometimes I'll nap a little bit, but I think that is my, my own way of kind of just recharging my batteries after, um, you know, socializing sometimes on the weekend,
0: preaching to the choir with that one.
2: That makes perfect sense. What's the last TV show you watched? Oh, my husband and I are watching better call Saul and um for people who haven't seen it i we have really enjoyed it bob odenkirk is like give him all the awards in my opinion um as well as the female lead in the show ria rhea, rhea sehorn i think is her name is just one of the most identifiable female characters i've seen in any show she's an attorney she is just sharp um and, and disciplined. And um, I, I just loved every little bit of that show. Um, it, it is a little bit violent, though, for people who are, are wary of violence. It's definitely there. But um, yeah, that's what we've been watching.
0: So Christine, you're a perfect judge for this since you live in the Chicagoland area. You prefer East Coast or West Coast?
2: I'm a West Coast person. Sorry for the East Coast listeners. There's another one,
0: Julie, for um, you. Yeah. <laughs>
2: we have just spent a lot of time on the west coast have um some family in in southern california and some good friends in northern california and um, some relatives in oregon as well so we've just spent a lot more time on the west coast i will say i spent a girlfriend's trip this past fall though in maine And that was uh, really memorable and just so exquisite. So I am East Coast curious, need to spend more time on the East Coast, but uh, my heart is with the West Coast. I love it. Christine, when you were a kid, what did you wanna be when you grew up? Well, my first thing I remember articulating and my parents enjoyed having me say it at parties, was an ornithologist. I was a big bird lover, still am a bird lover, Mm -hmm. bird watcher. And I think my dad's taught me to say that word because he thought it was funny. Um, (laughs) But I I really loved birds and continue to be very engaged with the natural world. And um, that was probably the first thing in my mind um, that I identified as a career path. It turned out that science wasn't my best subject. And so I kind of dropped that, but um, still do find a lot of inspiration in, in
0: nature and spending time outdoors. Christy, my last question, what was your favorite board game as a child?
2: there was a game called masterpiece and i don't know if this is sort of a chicago area game but it was based on the collection at the art institute of chicago which is our big main art museum in chicago and the idea was that you would kind of get a value paired with the piece of art Um, And I can't remember specifically how the game worked, but I do remember memorizing all of the pieces of art, all of the artists. And I grew up in kind of an arty family where we spent a lot of time going to museums. And so it just gave me a good grounding in different styles of art. And um, certainly in our local museums collection, but that was by far my favorite uh, game. And there was a fun dimension to it where sometimes pieces of art could be a forgery. So you would have, I you would bid on these pieces of art not knowing what they were worth and sometimes you might buy a forgery and that was always a fun dimension and I continue to be super interested in the topic of art thieves and art capers and um, some of the big art thefts that have happened there have been documentaries about them and it's just something that kind of lights up my brain it, it's something I'm super interested in
0: that's very cool
1: Well, Christine, we can't thank you enough for being here with us today and sharing your thoughts and ideas on the bucketing strategy. I'm confident that our listeners will take much from that and be able to continue to engage in meaningful conversations with their clients and prospects around this strategy. For those of you that want to find more information on Christine's thought leadership, please visit Morningstar.com and also listen to her podcast, The Long View. You can also check out our book, 30-Minute Money Solutions, a step-by-step guide to managing your finances. Christine, thank you again for being here with us today. We appreciate it more than you know.
2: Thank you so much, John and Julie. Thanks for listening to the Hartford Fund's Human-Centric Investing Podcast. If you'd
1: like to tune in for more episodes, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube.
0: And if you'd like to be a guest and share your best ideas for transforming client relationships, email us at guestbooking at hartfordfunds.com. We'd love to hear from you.
1: Talk to you soon.
0: The views and opinions expressed herein are those of our featured guests who are not affiliated with Hartford Funds. The views expressed here should not be construed as investment advice. They're based on available information and are subject to change without notice. The information above is intended as general information and is not intended to provide nor may it be construed as providing tax, accounting, or legal advice. As with all matters of a tax or legal nature, please consult with your tax or legal counsel for advice.